Welcome to Page It to the Limit, a podcast where we explore what it takes to run software in production successfully. We cover leading practices used in the software industry to improve both system reliability and the lives of the people supporting those systems. I'm your host, Mandy Walls. Find me at LNXCHK on Twitter. Hey, right, here we are. Welcome back to Pages and Limit. This week I have with me Alex Hidalgo. Alex is uh, kind of a guy you might know from Twitter, but also is a principal reliability advocate at Noble9 and the author of Implementing Service Level Objectives from O'Reilly. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thanks for having me, Mandy. Uh, I don't know what it quite means that the first thing you go to is a guy you might know from Twitter, but... <laughs> Everybody seems to know you from Twitter, right? The sort of like DevOps uh, environment on, on Twitter is very closely closely knit. So. No, that's true. No, like it's a fun group there. And actually, I found during the pandemic, it's really also been a good set of friends to have, honestly, yeah, you know? Absolutely. Like I, I've completely given up on Facebook because that's like very toxic, but Twitter friends are are, are awesome. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's get us started. So you've been working on SLO stuff. That's what Noble9 does. Give us the baseline. Like, what are SLOs and why should folks be thinking about this? What are they going to do with them? Sure. Um, so at their absolute basic, SLOs are service level objectives. They're just a way of admitting to yourself that nothing's ever perfect. That's that's really at the absolute root, right? It's, it's just a codification of the concept of uh, don't let great be the enemy of the good. Right. Uh, nothing's ever 100%. Nothing ever succeeds all the time. Failures happen. And SLO based approaches to say, let's embrace this and let's pick a reasonable target instead. Since we know we can't hit 100%, we admit that at some point in time, something's going to fail about our computer services. We're going to have an incident, a dependency is going to break on us, whatever it might be. And so instead, let's pick a more reasonable target. And that's what a SLO really is. It's picking a percentage, a reasonable percentage for how often you need to be operating reliably to hopefully have a good balance between what your users, what your customers need uh, versus what keeps your teams and your finances healthy. Mm -hmm. For those of us at a certain age, I guess there was this dream of the five nines and like this feels like an evolution, but also like an acceptance of reality that like we're not running landline telephones anymore yeah totally i mean five nines right what that means for everyone that doesn't know means you're aiming for 99.999 percent whether that's an availability target or uh you only want one out of you know a uh, hundred thousand requests to have an error whatever it might be but i always love translating these into time because that oh, kind of yeah. helps people kind of really wrap their head around what this means and five nines or 99.999% if we were to turn that into an availability target would be approximately six seconds of potential downtime per week or about five minutes per year, right? So when you really start to think about it that way, is that a reasonable target? Can you actually run computer services that actually hit that target in any kind of meaningful way for your users? Uh, and even if you can hit that, do your users even need that? Do they even require that? Or are these just kind of meaningful, endless nines you're stacking on top of your target that uh, really no one's expecting of you anyway? Yeah, I, I feel like in the place where like, yeah, we have a lot more technology now and it's like part of all of our life, like people have become a lot more, I won't say necessarily forgiving, but maybe accepting that occasionally there's going to be a blip, that there's going to be a, a time when things don't respond as fast as possible and maybe things are a little bit unexpected. And that seems very refreshing versus being screamed out for every 
Yeah. Humans are used to failure, right? I have a million computer examples, but I also like the example, uh, you know, I worked in the service industry for a long time. And I think one of the reasons why SLOs speak to me so much is because I realized like we did all this at restaurants, right? Like okay. uh, whether I was a server on the floor or I was a cook in the kitchen, we we knew that we weren't going to be perfect. And that was fine as long as we were good often enough. And the example I like to give, you know, uh, is you're in a restaurant and you order a pizza and uh, you ordered a pepperoni pizza, but instead cheese pizza comes out, right? That's a failure. It didn't come out exactly how you requested it, right? This is like sending a request to an API and you're getting a slightly wrong, you know, like response back, but it still came out quickly. Uh, so the latency wasn't bad and it still came out. So it, your request wasn't lost entirely. And now you have a choice. You can either accept this minor failure and just eat the cheese pizza, which you also still like, right? You wanted pepperoni on it, but that's fine. You also like cheese pizza or you can just retry. Just mm-hmm. literally like retrying a request to an API, right? You can send it back to the kitchen and they can add pepperoni to it and send it right back out. And you're fine with that. You're not going to like, you know, uh, uh, never go back to that restaurant again just because they made this one tiny little mistake. And our computer services are just like that, right? Once you introduce humans to it, they're fine. Oh, that's are off, right? People are weird. Yeah. You know, and you just got to make sure that you're balancing things well enough that you're not losing your users, right? You don't want to be terribly, you know, unreliable, but trying to ensure you're sending out the exact correct pizza every single time, it's just not going to happen. So with that, like what you mentioned there, like, how does your team know, like what users find most important? Are you doing experiments? You're doing some A-B testing? You're doing surveys? Like what kinds of tools are there for folks who want to find their, their most optimal objectives there? Yeah, this is actually the most difficult part, right? Um, it's very simple to sit here and talk about, well, like don't aim for 100%. But then we go, well, what should we aim for? Well, uh, I don't know. That's actually very difficult to figure out. Yeah. You know, I hate always going straight towards it depends, but it depends, right? It depends on what your service is. It depends on what your users uh, expect. It depends on what kind of business you are. Uh, are you charging people or not? People are a lot more flexible uh, dealing with failures for something that they know is free versus something that they're paying a premium for, right? Even just uh, like a streaming service, you often have different tiers available. Your users who are paying you a premium for the top tier service are going to have much stricter requirements than those paying you for the lower tier service. So, you know, there's a ton that goes into that. And how do you figure that out? The important part is just to be thoughtful, I think, Mm -hmm. right? Like I don't have super great advice that is entirely applicable to every single person across the board. Besides be thoughtful, think about what is our situation? What do our users look like? Can we send them a survey? Are they even going to respond to that survey? Maybe we need to do interviews. And if we do interviews, maybe we need to compensate our users for that, right? Because an interview can be lengthy session that, you know, so maybe we've got to give them some kind of gift card or a free month or it really is pretty wide open. Just be thoughtful and make sure you are thinking about that because too mm-hmm. many people go down this road and adopt this kind of approach and like, okay, cool. We're doing SLOs now. Uh, so we're going to aim for 99.99%, you know, latency below 400 milliseconds. Well, what does any of that mean without context? It means nothing. Yeah. And it's interesting too, like, in some ways, like people kind of vacillate, like either they, they want to be told what the right objectives are to set, or they want the freedom to kind of go crazy and experiment and find that it's hard to find that like nice middle place where, okay, these are the things that fit for us and, and this team and this application. And there's no sort of right way to do it and helps sort of lead people in that, that right direction. 
Yeah. A thing that I often have to remind people of is that an SLO-based approach to reliability is that. That's one of the reasons I, I, I use that term, right? It's an approach. It's it's a different way of thinking about your services. It's a better way to have some pre-done math that takes some of the telemetry you have, hopefully makes it a little bit more understandable, and you then can use that data to help you make better decisions and you know, but there's nothing about this that is like, it's not a one and done thing. It's not like you set SLOs and now we go do something else. No, you set SLOs because you want to measure your service in a different way. And if it turns out uh, a week later or a month later or a year later that what you picked to measure things wasn't the right thing, then you go change that, right? They're not agreements. They're not SLAs. Right? Yes. Like people have heard of service level agreements, these things written into contracts that people are beholden to. And, you know, that's not what an SLO is. It's, it's explicitly not in agreement. So go change them if needed. They're constantly evolving. They're constantly iterative. So, you know, you don't have to worry about whether or not what you picked the first time around was perfect or not. As long as what you're picking isn't so terrible that you're driving users away or so terrible that your business is going under, you know, you're not going to get the right target the first time around. You might even say there is no such thing as a perfect target because reality is constantly changing. And that's all fine. The point is, are we taking the time to think about things in the right way? Yeah, I think that's super interesting too. Like people do kind of get mixed up with like the SLA, the service level agreement, there's lawyers involved, there might be fiduciary responsibilities there, you publish those in your website, and that it's a very public contract, your SLOs are the things that that your team is promising almost to yourselves, right? Like that's the, the, the goals that you're working towards with your team. And and maybe you have like some responsibility to your dependent services and things like that, but it's all internal. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, um, I don't really like talking SLAs because, uh, uh, like, they're not my thing. Because as you just mentioned, like, yeah, like they're route lawyers. Like they exist. Like what well, a lot of people like don't I think realize SLAs exist so that you as a customer have an excuse to break your contract, mm-hmm. right? Like that's what they're really there for. No one really cares about the minor amount of credit, you know major cloud provider gives you if, if, if they exceed their, no, like no one actually cares about that financial benefit, quote unquote, right? It's no, it's there so that you can break your contract with a vendor if they suck too much. And that's all an SLA actually is. Now, it turns out we can take the kind of the concepts behind an SLA, which is, you know, not aiming for a hundred percent and use it for good via SLOs, <laughs> but they're really very different you know, to my mind. Right. You've got different stakeholders, right? So like, when, when you're talking SLOs and when, when a team is looking to sort of engage in, in that, that process, who do you include in that discussion? Who, who all are included in your stakeholders? You've got obviously your users. They're kind of maybe your silent partner if you're not talking to them directly. But like who else internally is part of that discussion or should be? It can be as broad as possible. Um, at the end of the day, SLOs are uh, a better communication tool, right? Like they're better data to help you make decisions, but also communicate out what those decisions might be. And therefore, really anyone who may concern themselves as a stakeholder in any way. So it could be teams that depend on your service. It could be the product and project managers that care about your service, you know, all the way up to the business side of things and the C-level and, you know, it... it anyone who may have investment, um, even if they don't realize it, uh, should be able to know what your SLOs are. Um, I'm a big fan of them being highly public and, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, gloss transparency there. But in, instead of the huge version that I just laid out, you can also just say, you know, it's 
it's just for your own team to make decisions for your own team to decide, okay, what should we focus on next sprint? Maybe it's for, you know, a closely aligned sister team who relies on your service. Um, so it doesn't have to be the, uh, uh, Kumbaya version of the entire company is buying and everyone cares about it. Uh, it could also just be like a small scale thing, but you know, it, again, it depends entirely on your situation and, and who cares about things. What I do think is important to know is that always your user, right? It's always mm-hmm. at least you and your user, at least. Okay. And we often say user, but what that really means is anything that depends on your service. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't have to be a human. It doesn't have to be a paying customer. It might be a team down the hall. It might be, you know, a, a third party application. It could be, you know, anything that talks to your service is what you got to think of as the user. So while you're picking your targets, while you're picking your measurements, make sure you at least have them in mind. Yeah, especially for like for folks who run backend services, like their their choices of SLO will impact how rigorous anyone who depends on them can make their SLOs. So like having that discussion between teams would be necessary almost. Like the front end team can't set a higher SLO than I can provide them from a dependent service uh, and something like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, luckily it turns out that people like this approach in general and uh, places where I've helped introduce it and places where I've seen it introduced, uh, it generally grows and you and, and you mm-hmm. have people kind of come to this realization themselves that, you know, oh, uh, I'm dependent on this service and they're only promising that many nines. So I better pick this other target that, you know, yeah, like that's the cool thing is, is, is people generally pick up on this, you know, like themselves, but also in a perfect world, like, yeah, you start from the bottom up, you say, okay, here's my infrastructure and here are the you know, uh, like here are the targets that we believe we can hit and that we're going to be, you know, that we can reasonably aim for. And I even talk about in, in an absolutely perfect world that would include the people running your hardware first, or what's the reliability of the circuits delivering electricity to the racks that your servers like reside in, right? You know, what is the reliability targets of the cooling units in the data center, right? That might be mostly a hypothetical thought experiment more than it's realistic, but that's the way you got to think about things, right? Everything depends on something else at some level. Um, there really isn't anything that we can't jump one further level down from in terms of mm-hmm. abstractions, you know, so you can't go all the way to the bottom, but make sure you're thinking about that enough steps back, right? You know, even if you are like, okay, cool, I'm the infrastructure team. I provide Kubernetes running on bare metal for my entire company. Well, who's taking care of that bare metal, right? Who's taking care of the power delivery to that bare metal? Who's taking care of, you know, make sure you're thinking about those kind of things. Cause unless you understand or have some, at least vague understanding of what the reliability of those dependencies might be, it's going to be really difficult for you to promise anything. Yeah, definitely. And data center design definitely gets into all that wacky business. I haven't stepped in a data center, I think, since we worked together a million years ago, which I'm not sure I've missed it, honestly. But yeah. I, every once in a while, I have the itch to be really chilly for the day and, (laughs) you know, unrack some things and... But uh yeah, Try you know, really hard not to drop them and yeah, right. <laughs> I still have a toolbox about two rooms away that I rescued from the New York City data center. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Like I might be the last person on the planet with a with like an actual physical remnant of AdMeld in that sense. Uh, <laughs> which for the audience is the company Mandy and I used to work at together yeah. a million years ago. A million years ago. <laughs> Like and I, I mean, I still have my crimper and I still have my my wire cutters and my my little star screwdrivers and that stuff. But like everything else, I'm just like, no, don't want to do this anymore. 
but, but yeah, definitely <laughs> like thinking about like what your, what your providers are, are going to give you. Oh my gosh. Those are dark days, man. I don't know. So along with, with SLOs, like the, the, the other part, the sort of mirror image of that is what folks call error budgets and the pieces that are like your flexibility, I guess, where your errors go, that you budget for your errors. So can we get into a little bit about how that works and how that, like, what folks use those for? We talk a little, you mentioned a little bit about, you know, setting priority for work and stuff like that. How, how does what's sort of left over after you've picked your SLO, how does that help you out? Yeah. So uh, as you just alluded to, like an error budget is the opposite, right? So if you have an SLO target, let's real easy number, 99%, right? You want to be 99% reliable, whether or not that's availability, error rates, you know, data correctness, whatever, right? You know, you have this target and your service wants to hit that target and you have decided that it's fine if you aren't reliable that 1% of the time. That's what you're also saying, right? If you're saying 99% is good enough, you're also implicitly saying 1% bad is cool with us. And once you've established that, you now can say, well, we have this 1%, like this is now our budget. This is now uh, an amount of time or account of events that can go wrong that we don't care about really. We don't panic until we exceed what this budget gives us. So now you have this period of time, or again, number of events that you can do all sorts of things with, right? Either one, you just use it to absorb the natural failures that occur with your surface, right? And that's what I think most people and most SLOs kind of exist for. Okay. But you can also say, okay, cool. We've been running exceptionally well for some amount of time. Uh, so we have all this budget remaining um, because we've been running at approximately 100%. And we were really only naming for 99%. And that now means maybe we can do some experimentation. Maybe this is a good time for chaos engineering. Maybe this is a good time to, you know, it's even down to the tiny things. Like, have you ever wondered what would happen to your service if you switch the garbage collection method of, you know, like on your JVM? You know, like, I don't it know. Could catch we'll fire. It could be great. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and if you have error budget, it's a great time to say, cool, let me just go flip that flag and find out because you know what? Everything's been fine. It's it's a signal. It, it tells you whether or not now is the right time to do things. And on the inverse, you know, a great story. Uh, uh, before I was at Noble Nine, I was at Squarespace for a while and had spent a few months planning on a data center black hole exercise. They were going to turn one of the data centers entirely off. They hadn't actually done this before. And it was a big deal. Coordination across teams everywhere, across org, right? Super huge effort. And it's like the week before and, you know, like there's an outage and it wasn't anyone's fault. It was a DDoS, the kind of thing that happens to a website company like Squarespace every once in a while, you know. And so I had to go to the organizers of this, you know, like they were having their last meeting to have their black hole exercise. I'm like, we can't. We don't have error budget. We just had an outage last week. We can't right now. And I remember the person organizing this. Damn it, Alex. You're right. You know, because it can also be a signal that tells you the exact opposite. Let's not experiment right now. Let's not have this black hole exercise. Let's not find out what happens when. That's a really fun thing. And I think it's very important to find out what happens when for various aspects of your services, but you do it at the right time. And an error budget either tells you, yes, we have error budget. Let's find out right now. Or no, we're out of error budget. Let's wait a bit because we have users who depend on us. Mm -hmm. No, it's super interesting. I wasn't even thinking about it from that 
particular perspective, but yeah, like a, to you know bring everything that can induce instability kind of to a, a more controlled piece. When you yeah. The, the, the stereotypical example that's in the Google SRE books is right. Like have error budget ship features out of error budget, stop shipping features, focus on reliability. Yeah. It's overly simplistic. I don't love it because it, it, it doesn't give you enough room. And I think it incorrectly kind of pigeonholes reliability work is not being project work, which I don't think is correct at all. That, that is feature yes. work. Yeah. So, you know, I don't love that example for that reason because it's too simplistic, but a better way to think about it is, right, like, you know, uh, minimize things that may bring instability or periods of unreliability to your service if you're out of budget because that budget is telling you maybe we've sustained enough instability recently. Cool. And with those, do you, like, does the time frame also, when you're sending SLOs and you're sort of picking your time frames, you're looking across maybe days or weeks or whatever, is that sort of the same practice as you're picking the SLO, like picking that time frame, a bit of experimentation or, or just figuring things out? Or when do you reset? Yeah. Some people do rolling windows and some people do calendar lines, right? So some people, maybe they're defending an SLA. So they do have this SLA. So they set a slightly more stringent SLO and they need that tied to a calendar month because our contracts are always okay. calendar based. So right, literally the month of March, the month of April. But I like rolling windows better. Pick 28 days, pick 30 days, and literally have that as a rolling window moving forward into time and allow bad events or bad time to drop out, you know, like off of the back. And so you kind of recover your budget as enough time has passed. I like about month periods just because they seem to work well. Humans are used to measuring things in months. uh, So I don't think there's necessarily some strong mathematical reason to pick it outside of the fact that people are good with it. A lot of people pick maybe two weeks or 28 days because that might line up with multiple sprints, but you know, it's, it's like so many other things, just make sure that what you're picking, you're at least being partially thoughtful about, uh, does it line up for you? Does it work for you, your teams, your business, your organization, you know, but you do want to give yourself enough time to reasonably measure things too. Right. Um, I don't see a ton of benefit in a single day budget, for example, maybe we can come up with some niche hypothetical situations, um, you know, but do give yourself enough time that you can meaningfully look back and say, you know, how have things been over this time period? Maybe even think about it in the sense of has enough time passed? Is this window large enough that if something goes really wrong, that once it drops out or our users no longer mad at us, (laughs) that that might actually be a reasonable (laughs) user memory could be part of your window. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, so Noble Nine, like this is part of, of what you guys do. How how are you mm-hmm. sort of bringing this to your customers? What are you? What's your practice like that that you're helping folks with there with the, the, the product line? Yeah. So Noble Nine, uh, we aim to be able to basically ingest data from anywhere, uh, do SLO and error budget math against it, and then give you the best data you possibly can out of that, whether or not it's automated alerts or. Uh, you know, talking to your CI/CD system to either halt or or, or release releases, um, or literally paging people if things are really bad. Mm-hmm. We're just there to kind of uh, help you do that math better because um, oh, okay. some platforms may do it in a rudimentary sense. Most platforms don't do it at all, and companies keep having to build their own internal slow tooling over and over and over again. And we're really there to ensure people don't have to do that anymore. So we kind of aim to help you take data from anywhere, whatever might become a useful SLO, because it's not just your 
time series monitoring data. Uh, that's where people often start, um, but you don't have to limit yourself. Just like the cheese pizza example we had earlier, the data that you may want to set reliability targets around, uh, it may surprise you where that lives. Uh, there's a lot of great business data uh, like that you can use for this. Again, it doesn't just have to be your operational telemetry. And we just aim to help you better uh, uh, delve into that data by doing the math for you. Cool. That seems super helpful out there for our folks. And we'll put a link to the Noble9 website in the show notes for folks who uh, aren't familiar with their company and can check that out. One maybe spicy question I have for you is like with this sort of more sophisticated process, does this sort of help folks get away from things like code freezes and the don't release on Friday practices and some of those other constraints that have been sort of plastered on in places to protect the reliability of systems? I think it can. Ultimately, those kind of practices are all about the culture that has been built at an organization. And I don't want to say that just introducing us lows will instantly make the fear of a Friday release go away or uh, uh, the practice of having code freezes uh, um, during holidays, you know, go away. But SLOs do give you more reasonable reliability data to look at mm -hmm. um, because like error counts don't mean anything unless you understand what amount of errors can be tolerated, right? Like until you have a target, until you have some understanding of uh, what can our failures look like, uh, what can our unavailability look like, how many incidents can we sustain as a business, uh, how many outages can our users uh, handle, until you have an understanding of what any of those things are, you're never going to resolve the systemic social technical issues that underlie don't deploy on Fridays mm -hmm. uh, that underlie, we must have a code freeze. Um, so like there's not necessarily a one-to-one -one, like relationship, but I do think embracing an SLO based culture is a step towards embracing a culture that understands it's actually okay to release whenever you want that uh, maybe code freezes are not always great. I'm actually more of a fan of code freezes than people may think, actually. Yeah. I think for certain businesses, eh, I think for certain businesses, it makes total sense. If you're like okay. a retailer, why not freeze for a week before Black Friday? Yeah, take it off. But on the same token, uh, um, yeah, like you should release whenever is, is, here's a better way to put it, right? I'm getting slightly tangential. It's got okay. nothing to do with releasing on Fridays or not, right? It's got to do with, do you feel safe releasing when you need to? Yeah. And you know what? That also means if you don't want to release for a week before Black Friday, don't, as far as I'm concerned. Feeling okay about when you want to release includes when you don't want to release as well as when you do want to release. Like that's my take on it, I think. And I totally agree. And I, I think I think some 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 folks have, have been using code freezes in a in not necessarily maybe not malicious, but like in an irresponsible way where they know it's coming, right? The calendar exists and you've planned it ahead and you know what those holidays are. But then someone wakes up in the middle of October all surprised and it's like, oh, wait, we wanted to release this thing. And it turns out it hits in the middle of code freeze week. We're going to have to rush and get this done. No, you need to plan better or have a slightly different model for what you're doing. Right. Exactly. Have as many code freezes as you want, as long as you're also shipping at the right times. Right. It's 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 yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> So interesting dysfunctions out there with uh, with some of those folks. So, um, so one question we we like to ask is there a a myth that that you often find you, yourself debunking about SLOs that that you can share with us? 
I mean, a ton. There's a lot of, I think, just general misconceptions. Um, you know, people who aim for, who think it's actually good to aim for more nines, people who think that's the goal is to have as many nines as possible, people who seem to think you can only use the number nine, which is also confusing to me because there's like, there's nine other numbers beyond nine that you can be using for your reliability targets. You know, like maybe 98.7% is what you should actually be aiming for. Who knows? Your service is unique. You tell me. But I think the most pervasive is that people think of it as an OKR, a quarterly goal, a thing you do once. We now have SLOs. Uh, Yay. No, it's a totally different way of thinking. It's a different way of measuring. It does not end. Um, It is closer to something like using Agile to playing your sprints than it is just a checkbox, right? It's a different kind of data you need to be essentially perpetually using to help you make decisions. The best ways I've seen, like, you know, people love talking about how error budget burn-based alerting is superior to threshold alerting, and I think it can be if done right. But the most useful way I've seen SLOs used over my many years focus on this is teams that just look at them once a week, right? They have the weekly sync, and part of their meeting is they go look at all their all their error budgets for all their services. And they say, huh, do you see that one? It's kind of going down. Maybe someone should look at that, right? It's that that is really the most useful, beneficial way of using SLOs, I think. Uh, they, they give you a million things, but above all, they give you a signal. Maybe we need to look into that. That only happens if it's a new thing that you add perpetually to your signals, that you add perpetually to your planning. It's not just a thing you check off a list. Awesome. And is there anything else that you want to mention that we haven't covered yet? We're almost at the end of our time. So any parting thoughts? Uh, just people should register and check out SLOConf happening next month, uh, May 9th through 12th. Uh, come check it out. Registration's free. It's entirely virtual. Speaker list should be out by the time you're listening to this. Uh, we should have dozens and dozens of great talks. They're all just five to 10 minutes long. Uh, they're explicitly meant to be uh, a consumable while you work tiny little snack-sized tidbits of SLO wisdom that you can kind of absorb in between meetings. So come check us out at sloconf.com. Absolutely. We will put a link to that in the show notes for folks to to check that out. And then you guys record those and they're posted and available afterwards as well. So you don't want to miss out on all that good stuff if you're interested in SLOs. And if you're not ready, come back to them when you are. We'll be there and that'll be great. Well, Alex, thank you for for joining us this week. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Mandy. I had an absolute blast. Yes. Bit of a, you know, walk down memory lane, right? You know, (laughs) makes you feel a little old on a a morning, but it's fine. Um, It's all good. So like I mentioned, we'll have links to to Noble9 and to Alex's book and to Slokov in the show notes out there. Uh, Make sure you sign up for that. Upcoming from PagerDuty as well. It should be out by the time this gets released. We'll have our PagerDuty Summit announced for June of this year, and we hope to see everybody at those as well. So in the meantime, we'll be wishing you an uneventful day. That does it for another installment of Pager to the Limit. We'd like to thank our sponsor, PagerDuty, for making this podcast possible. Remember to subscribe to this podcast if you like what you've heard. You can find our show notes at pageittothelimit.com and you can reach us on Twitter at pageittothelimit using the number two. Thank you so much for joining us and remember, uneventful days are beautiful days.